Well, howdy, folks. How you doing out there? Rick Whitener here, getting it right again here on KNZZ, KGLN, and all across lots of places out there. You know, let me list the stations here. 1100 and 92.7 and 980 and 101.3. And, of course, on the Internet and on our podcast, which a lot of you have been downloading. Thank you very much. You can get our podcasts, apparently, as I've discovered, on uh your iTunes uh, by asking your Amazon device to play it, which I found to be pretty amazing, and all sorts of stuff. And uh, as I've been promising for a long time, we're going to try and start doing some bonus content that's not in the shows. So uh, when I get that going, I'll let you know. But you guys have been listening to them, and I hopefully that you're uh, asking other people that haven't heard the show maybe to listen to it. I try and be interesting as much as possible. You know, I have my own limitations here, but I am trying. And I really appreciate all your listenership. Anyway, so we're back. So what's happening this week? Well, Tucker's gone. We know that. Whole week full of that. That was pretty interesting. My understanding was that uh, his producers didn't know and that they were still preparing the show for Monday night. And the show was going to be about the uh, settlement with Dominion voting machines that, uh, of course, Tucker and you know everybody at the station, their emails have been in there and been involved with. And I think they settled for what seven hundred eighty-seven, seven hundred ninety-seven, and right in front of me, a million dollars. You know, pretty much chicken feed to those guys. But uh, that's quite a lot of money. And right after that, no, no, uh, you know, no connection there. Uh, they uh, got rid of Tucker, and we're still not really sure. There's still theories floating around out there, you know. But what we do know for sure is Tucker's going to be just fine. He had a twenty million dollar a year contract, which I'm happy to say I think he was worth it, especially when you look at some of these characters out there and what they get paid. I mean, there's some people, I can't even remember their names on CNN, they get $6 million a year. And if you look at some of the sports stars out there, I mean, come on. So that's fine. And I think they're going to have to pay out the remainder of his contract uh, as though he were on the air. And I'm also going to guess, because we haven't heard anything about it, that he doesn't have any non-compete there for that term, which means is that he can probably go do whatever he wants. The question is, is what does he want to do? Me, I'd like to see him do two things. I'd like to see him be on the radio, because I think that would be great, because I think he is, in fact, the new Rush in many ways. Uh, not exactly like Rush, but has that bravery, that singular voice, that analytical way that very few people can capture. And we have... Many people out there that are pretty good at sort of re-you know so reiterating points over and over again. But Tucker, like Rush, and a few others, my favorite, of course, Victor Davis Hanson, Douglas Murray, I think, uh, Jordan Peterson to some extent, a couple of others, have unique takes on things and that are insightful. It's easy to be told things, but it's hard to be told things that have insight that look beneath the surface or look through things because it's hard to do that. It's easy to just kind of say what's expected. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that it becomes repetitive. And in the repetition, it loses its value. It loses its impact. And Tucker was one of these people that I think always understood that. Rush was always like that. I mean, his depth of analysis was clear-eyed and he looked through things. As he liked to say, he knew the other side like he knew his own body, right? <laughs> and then he worked with his brain, half his brain tied behind his back just to make it fair. And that's that kind of thing is rare. There's plenty of people I like to listen to, 
and get their opinions and hear their guests and so forth. But there's not many that make me think. I try and do that here. I don't know how successful I am. Uh, I try and think about these things and look at them a little differently. And I try and see through the lens of, of both history and philosophy and the things, some of the things I've been interested in over the years. And sometimes that gives you a little different approach. It doesn't necessarily mean it's more right or anything like that. It's just sometimes you, you have to have, have to see things in a slightly different light and highlight. And one of the things about Tucker that was always good is that even when things were happening that everyone else was talking about 24 hours a day, even when he talked about it, he had a slightly different slant on it. And he would move on and give us more information. So I, I would love to see him on the radio. I think it's more likely that we're going to see him, and we may see him on the radio, but I believe that he may set up a podcasting system like Joe Rogan. Now, Joe Rogan gets more listeners than pretty much anybody on cable news. And I think Tucker could draw people to that. And one of the things I like about that is that if he does that, then it will draw a lot of people who have not been particularly interested in podcasting into that realm because there's a lot of really interesting ones out there. I mean, I have mine I'd like people to listen to, but, you know, beyond that, <laughs> I mean, there's I, I listen to Adam Carolla a lot. Uh, well, not a lot, occasionally. Uh, now, a lot of the things on podcasting that it, people have a problem with, and I understand it, is there's a lot of profanity because, see, it's not controlled. It's not anything over the airwaves, per se. Uh, it seems like over the airwaves because it comes through the Internet and then your Bluetooth headphones sometimes and this and that, but it's not. So there's a lot of profanity and things like that, sometimes profanity on, on good podcasts. So you kind of have to get past that. I don't think that would be the case with Tucker. But a lot of the podcasts, or a fair number of them, I should say, not the majority, but a number of them are video as well. Joe Rogan's like that. Uh, when you pull up his podcast, you get the video of them being in the studio as well as the audio. And you can walk around and listen to the audio. You don't have to see it. But if you want to watch it, it's kind of interesting. It's very interesting sometimes. And they have a neat setup that I, I would like to replicate. And I keep threatening to do it. It's just that uh, there's this thing with called room. I don't have room. <laughs> I have, I'm crowded into my little home studio as it is. But I'd like to find a place to set up. What they do is they set up across a large table from one another. Now, obviously, I'm not getting paid $100 million for my... Uh, what is it, like a five, six-year contract he has with Spotify? I can't remember what it is. But even then, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. And he has a producer that works there with him, at least one, I think two. There, You don't see them. And they're on their headphones and microphones across from each other, uh, just like you do when you're on the radio, so that you can hear each other clearly and hear what's being said. But on one wall, they have a fairly large television, or screen, rather, set up so that they can hunt things up on the Internet and throw them up. And if you're watching the show, you can see what they're looking at. And what makes that kind of neat is the show's very free form. And as they're talking about things, uh, someone will say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll see if we can find that, he'll say. And then they'll talk for a little bit. And they'll find like a film clip or a picture of something or whatever and toss it up on the screen. And it's that natural dialogue between people that I think what is what really does it with Rogan and some of the others. It's that conversational thing where you feel like you're sitting there with them. You're not really able to talk to them per se, but you feel like they're, that you're in part of the conversation. And that's what I've always wished on our show is I want people to feel like that we're just chatting here, that you're sitting someplace with a cup of coffee, maybe a donut. Hopefully you'll save you know, a donut for me, um, since it is my personal weakness. And 
you know, there's a discussion going on about things, and it and it's conversational. And no one's lecturing at you. I mean, I probably feel like I do that sometimes, but uh, that is the difference. And I think that that kind of podcast setup would be great for Tucker. And also, you're not under the constraints, and this is what Rogan really likes, and some of the others that are good out there, is you're not under the constraints of commercial breaks or time. I mean, sometimes they'll talk a fairly long time with a guest, and then sometimes it'll be shorter. I mean, it's just how the conversation goes, which helps with the natural flow of things. It's much more interesting in these situations than you see on uh, television. And I think it's what they're doing with Fox Nation. Now, the big draw on Fox Nation for everybody was Tucker. I mean, I saw everybody talking Fox Nation this, Fox Nation that. I didn't hear anything that really pushed me towards wanting to subscribe to it, except occasionally Tucker would have some pretty interesting people on, and I thought... Well, it might be interesting to hear hear that. So I think they're in real trouble without him there for Fox Nation in addition to everything else. I'm sort of looking forward to another step out there that I not only think will be more interesting and exciting, but will draw people in who haven't necessarily come to that medium as yet. And that's that's what's really going to be growing. And I really would like to set a studio up like that, too, where we wouldn't just be doing audio, but we could have video and have someone, you know, work on a screen so we could show people what we were talking about. And it wouldn't have to be a setup. It would be as the conversation flowed and someone would say, you know, I remember remember there was this coming up and what about that? And then someone finds it on the computer, throws it up there and plays it and we all hear it. That would be great. All right, everybody, we're back. Uh, before I go on any further, I think I just have to say one thing and that is uh, God bless George Strait. All right, here we are. Thanks for sticking with me, by the way. Rick Wagner here getting it right. We're getting it right all the time. It's not that hard, really. That's, you know, I'm, I'm not pretending like it's a difficult thing. I mean, it's not. I want to address something. I, on, on our webpage, by the way, which I'll bring up again, which is, uh, the rickwagnershow.com or politicalviking.com, since that's uh, where you can find us on, uh, Facebook. I put a picture up, geez, I can't remember what's down in here that I put up. I said, uh, because there was a great story, an oldest known Viking ship is found near early king's burials in Norway. And since we are the political Viking, we are the uh, ultimate disruptors, and uh, we don't take a lot of a lot of crap. <laughs> and the Vikings came in, and they had a pretty straightforward uh, approach to things. You know, I mean, they uh, they disrupted. So I put this up. I, I had this great picture, and a couple of people asked me about it. And it's a picture of a Viking, a rather beefy looking Viking, uh, on a longboat, an oared longboat. With an American flag kind of in the sail, and uh, they're sailing in front of the U.S. Capitol and the Viking, Ragnar, as I've dubbed him, uh, kind of pointing that direction. And because <laughs> I thought it was a great picture, and I'm going to start using it more because I made that on AI. Somebody asked me, where'd you get that picture? And I made it on one of these things where you describe things into the artificial intelligence engine, and it draws them. Now, it took me a lot of time to get a lot more time than I thought it would to get it in there because the descriptions kept coming up the flag would be different places and the ship would be different and you know I was like and uh, you have to be pretty specific but if you put too many options in there it confuses the AI about where they should be so you know if you're not careful you'll have you know like your viking uh, standing on the prow or something and so I but I liked it and I put it up and somebody said oh that might look like some something like January 6th like somehow the Vikings are coming to raid the capital, okay? First of all, it's just Ragnar and a guy steering the ship. So that's pretty small. Now, a tough Viking is worth a lot of regular dudes, no question about it, particularly in D.C., maybe 200. 
But that's not it. And I thought, that's just sad. There's nothing violent about that. It's It shows that, you know, we're coming to town to make change, you know, and nobody needs to invade anything in January 6th or any of this other baloney. And But I just thought how sad it's getting, especially since I, can't, I captured the picture. We haven't went away. We just changed our destination. Now looking for a place to run Ragnar for Senate. And that's true. That's going to be what I want to see this. Ragnar for Senate. I mean, that has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? If only Ragnar was a truly a person. Although we have people in the Senate now that don't seem to be actually people. Certainly functioning no better than Ragnar, who's made up. Ragnar's probably less damaging. He's not even real. <laughs> but anyway, so, but I thought that was cool. It's, it's something that comes up from the AI. There, there's a lot of positive things with AI. Uh, the problem is that many people are lazy. And the scary thing about AI is it can start helping people be even lazier and do things they shouldn't not do. You know, what it reminds me of is when I used to do a lot of uh, criminal prosecution. As you guys know, I'm a lawyer. I'm here in Mesa County, Colorado, and we do things. All we really do is is people in car accidents and stuff like that. Because I don't want to do any criminal law or anything. Doing this for a long time, and we've had great, by the way, great luck with it. And it's all due to you people. And you're you're my backbone. I wouldn't wouldn't be able to be successful at all without you guys. But anyway, it reminds me a little bit because you used to see these embezzlement cases, and I get some of the complex crimes as addition to the drug crimes, and. You'd think, well, how are they embezzling all this money from this business? And what would happen is someone would be the business owner, and they would get tired of reviewing the books and bills and this and that. And instead of making that last line of defense, which is to review everything and you be the person that has to sign the checks, I, I know in a small business it's, you know, it's difficult. Uh, to always be there, sign checks, be sure someone's there on payday. If you're if you go on vacation. You know, try and figure out a way to get checks to people. I mean, it, it, it turns into a lot more of a problem. I mean, when you're just a couple of folks running a small business with a few employees. But what would happen is, is lots of times they would find someone who they would eventually just turn it all over to. They just didn't want to be bothered with it. And, uh, you know, you go ahead and pay the bills. I'll look at the, you know, look at the books at the end of the month and this and that. Well, that, that opens the door to all sorts of problems. I mean, if you're not signing the checks and comparing the billing to the checks, and at least have some idea about who these things are that are, you're sending money to, that just opens the door. And I just saw some some very silly um, embezzlement cases that, I mean, n- not that the victim deserved it, but, I mean, they just didn't, they'd gotten a little behind in their own responsibilities to the business. That doesn't take away the person's culpability for abusing their trust. You know, you don't get to say, well, we're going to lower your sentence because the person should have been paying better attention. No, that's not how that works. It's just you got to take care of yourself a little bit. AI is a little like that. You start turning duties over to them that you normally would do. Some of them are fine if it assists you in your job. If it substitutes for your job too much, then you really got to be watching it, right? So this this generation, this art generation, was kind of fun, but it, it took a lot more time to describe what you wanted than you thought, which actually helps you understand kind of the way the artificial intelligence works, and so. I mean, it was, that's where that came from, because I know people were going to, you know, a couple people were interested in that. And it's just simply to show that, you know, somebody has, some outsider has to come in and disrupt things. And I want to do it through the ballot box, and we need to do it through the ballot box while we still 
have ballot boxes and are still have any, any faith in them. And I'm having less all the time. That's a very, very unfortunate situation. You cannot survive in any kind of republic, democracy, whatever, you know, I get tired of that word. Or democracy. Like, like what? What do you mean by that, Chuck Schumer? Do you mean Athenian democracy? Do you mean constitutional democracy in a republic? What, what do you mean? What do you mean by democracy? I think what he means by democracy is not what you and I mean by it. I think he means more, you know, because they feel like they have a lot of people who are dependent on them, that they like the Athenian democracy thing, where just everybody gets together and shows up and gets to vote, and the will of the day is what carries the day, right? The Greeks found that did not work, right? Didn't work. Over time, you can't have that kind of sway and opinion. It's too easy to buy people off. That's always a problem. The Romans had a better system, but they still had the same problem, especially as time went on and they started having economic problems by flooding themselves with money and funds and things like that from outside, from their conquests in the empire, so that you know people were hiring more and more people, and they were also capturing people in the Gallic areas along the Rhinus, the Rhine that is, uh, Britain, all these things, bringing them back. And they were essentially, you know, that's a lot of slave labor from all over Europe. And it put people out of work. And then they had a lot of money and people who were not being paid to work. It's, it, was, it was a weird, it's a weird financial situation. That's why that kind of thing cannot work. It, it, it's too disruptive to the economic system. And it, of course, it's, it's sensitive and cruel and shouldn't be allowed in any civilized society. And the economics of it are self-destructive on top of everything else. But they had a better idea for government, and it was, you know, it was what we essentially have, a magistrate system, a justice system, consuls, which were uh, the executive branch, and the Senate. And it wasn't until the Senate particularly became so wildly corrupt and out of touch that they ended up having an emperor as the uh, executive branch. But that being said, I wonder what Chuck Schumer's definition of democracy really is, because he clearly doesn't like our constitutional version of it. He doesn't like the Electoral College, which is really a a big part of that. Uh, He probably, if pressed, you know, would like to see a a representative portion of uh, the Senate. He would probably like to see the Senate stay a 100 people, but then break it up so that everybody has the same number of people. Think about that, how that would dilute everything. That was the whole purpose of the construction of the Senate was to prevent that from happening and large states and areas overrunning these things. You'd have, you know, half your senators from the coasts, probably more than half from the coasts. And so, Chuck, what do you mean? What is it What is it you're talking about when you talk about democracy? So I think it's something you and I would say, mm, kind of. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't look anything like this country, uh, and it wouldn't survive Anyway, because these kinds of things always crash and burn when you have direct democracy, especially when it gets manipulated uh, through media and things like that. Heck, they could manipulate direct democracy in Greece and the 400 B.C. So uh, but what's going to happen now with uh, communications and the control of the media and so forth? So that's one of the reasons that it, you know, you're really asking for a collapse in your system if you bring that stuff up. 
But then these characters don't seem to care if there's a collapse in the system. And some of them seem to prefer a collapse in the system. They somehow think, as we've discussed before, the system will collapse, and then they'll rebuild it with these fantastic ideas that they have uh, that are childlike, really, and also repressive and vengeful in many ways. But they're going to re- that's how they'd rebuild society, and that's not a prescription for a successful society either, despite what these pinheads think. Anyway, we'll be back in a minute, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of these things that happened this week that are pretty interesting, but maybe from a different perspective. All right, everybody, we're back. Thanks for sticking around again. I got some things to get to here. Now, you know, when we finished the last segment, we were talking about what might be some of these people's uh, definition of democracy. And I'd like you to think about that if you have the time when you hear these people railing about democracy. What does exactly they mean by that? You know, it's like when people say, I want, uh, I want freedom. Well, we all want freedom, but what do you mean by freedom? Freedom to do what? Uh, what are the limitations? What are the guardrails? I mean, what, what do you mean? And we hear people sound off on these terms all the time, don't we? Uh, and they just become echoes in our head after a while. And do we ask ourselves very often, what is it that they really mean by that? Would you define that? I went back through, you know, just some things that I've seen with Schumer, for instance, because he's always talking about our democracy, our democracy. Never really said what he means. He has a lot of things that he threatens, whatever his definition of democracy is. And he's not even very clear about how that is. And if you think about it, how can you discuss how something is a threat to a definitional item without describing that item. So it's a threat to what part of democracy? What version of democracy or your idea of it, which may have nothing to do with democracy as it's defined or as we believe it, does this thing you're talking about threaten? Never does. It's it's rhetoric. And after a while, or sophistry, as you used to recall it to some extent, but it's certainly just rhetoric. It's just noise. And it's designed to have buzzwords thrown in there. Democracy, threat, Ultra MAGA, they're just they're buzzwords. And whenever we hear them, we should ask somebody to define what they mean. Like someone should ask Joe Biden what he means by ultra MAGA. What do you mean by that? You use it all the time. Clearly, you must have thought about it. I'm sure in that big brain of yours that you've thought this through and have a, have a great definition of what ultra MAGA means. I bet he doesn't have a clue what he means by that. What he means by that, of course, just in reality, is people who disagree with him. That's pretty much the definition. People who don't want to do what whoever's moving him around and having him sign things uh, don't want them to disagree with. So that's the end of that. It's very interesting. When you hear these terms all of the time, it's important to take a minute and ask yourself, what, what do they mean by that? These definitions, and we've said this before, definitions are so important, especially when you talk about legal concepts. Because you can define something in such a way that the result of that ends up being very different than the intention of what you were trying to do if you allow someone to define it in a completely different way. So ask yourself what these folks out there mean by that. Now, before I go any further, I want to bring up a couple of things, one of them that happened yesterday that I want to make sure you all know about. Some of you that follow the news probably do. If you don't, you should. Every time we have some sort of crazy legislation coming out of our legislature here in Colorado, and you people all across the United States, if you're listening to this on podcast or the Internet, probably do too, especially if you have a Democrat legislature, because they've decided, I've said this far too many times probably, 
that the best way to deal with you is to not tell you what's going on. And since the news media is often complicit in what they're trying to accomplish, they're perfectly fine with not telling you what they're doing in the state house. So you don't get all riled up and start complaining and going down like you have a right to confront people and ask them questions about what's going on and ask for town halls and call their offices and all that stuff that, you know, as, as peasants, which is of course how they see you, you shouldn't be bothering them. They're, they have important work. You know, I mean, complaining, calling, emailing. You know, showing up at town meetings, asking them to explain things. Who are we to be doing that? Not to these august officials as they clatter by in their uh, coaches of, uh, you know, made of gold filigree and we stand aside on the highway and, uh, take our hats off and bow silently as they go by. That's how they see themselves. That's, that's what they think ought to be done. It's as I've said before, it's very much what Rush had said a couple of years ago when he said as near as he could tell, that most of the radical Democrats are done with the electoral process. They think what they do is too important. They are too correct in what they do. The rest of us that don't agree are too dumb, too whatever, phobic, isms, whatever they throw at you, to really be listened to. And they shouldn't have to convince you of anything. It's beneath them, really to convince you that what they're doing is the right thing and to listen to your ideas about why this is going to go horribly wrong just because it's gone horribly wrong a thousand times in history. They don't want to hear that. So that whole process is something they would prefer to avoid. Deign not to look at it. Sort of a wave of their perfumed handkerchief and move on. It's getting that way. (laughs) And what's really sad is the people that are running this and who view themselves this way are mostly buffoons. <laughs> you know, they're not even, they're not even attempting to have any grasp of what they're doing. If they did not have some reins of power, they would be subject of comic relief. It would be funny to listen to them prattle on, except they're somehow have seized power and don't want to let go of it. And of course, letting you know what's going on. And providing you with the opportunity to boot them out and making them get real jobs, of which they're qualified for almost none, uh, should, needs to be dusted away because it threatens them. I mean, they're there now. They need to stay there. And you need to just move on and get used to it. So I, I think that attitude has become more pervasive in state capitals, certainly in the national legislature, and Really, the executive branch, too. executive branch appears to be populated now in all of these agencies and so forth with people that are just too darn smart to lose their jobs. Too smart, too on point, just too woke. I mean, they can't be replaced. They're just too important. Everything they do is drastically important for the country, for morality, everything. And if they have to do some things that are outside of that wild old document, the Constitution, that was written, oh, who knows, but what, a thousand? They don't even know. They certainly can't talk about it. We have judges going up to the federal bench. They can't tell you what's in the Constitution. Can't tell you what the various parts are about. It's not like it's 200 pages long. Because they don't care. That's not why they're in those jobs. It's not to enforce the Constitution or the rule of law. It's to just be another sort of super legislature. That's how the Democrats seem to see this idea of, of putting judges on the bench, is not to have a judicial approach and interpret the law and apply it to this fact situation. 
It's to take the law, find a fact situation they'd like to get to, and then pretzel the law around until it fits their goal so that it sounds like it's being done that way, sadly enough. But anyway, here in Colorado, Governor Polis, you know, the libertarian Governor Polis, the the moderate Polis, the possible, you know, VP candidate if it weren't for Kamala, signed four more gun control bills into law on Friday. Some of you have heard about these. They, of course, got ramrodded through. Remember, the Democrats now have a supermajority in the House and almost one in the Senate. I testified against one of these. It was pointless. I waited two hours to over two hours to testify. They gave me about as much attention as they would if there was a moth in the room and they could open a window and get it out of there. But I felt it was important because I, I think it's it's an overreach and will really solve nothing. But here's the ones that got signed, as though many, many of you probably know. One of them, of course, is this incredibly important uh, one. I'm not sure it does a whole lot of good for anybody. Now, they're going to be raising the age to purchase any firearm, not just handguns, any firearm from 18 to 21. So that will be coming in. The next is to establish a three-day waiting period between the time you buy a firearm and by the time you pick it up. So you can go someplace, purchase the firearm, wait three days to make sure we don't know what you're waiting for, and go back and pick it up, just to be extra difficult. And, of course, to put more burden on the evil firearms retailers. The other, of course, uh, and let's talk about this, the last one, uh, which is to make it easier to sue gun manufacturers for what happens with their firearms. Many of you know out there, this has been, this has been going for years. What they want to do, and this is a little bit like the law warfare that's going on with Trump. It's a way to use the courts to beat down, harass, and bankrupt people and businesses that they don't like by allowing lawsuits to be brought usually to be brought in places where the manufacturers or these retailers or the individuals, for that matter, are very unpopular, and the jury pool is going to be pretty much against them before anything even starts. And because of that, they want to put firearms manufacturers in there because in their mind, if they can't get through the idea to just ban firearms because that sticky Supreme Court still has a couple of danged old conservatives on it, then they'll just make it so that it doesn't make any sense to manufacture firearms in the United States because it'll just put you out of business in lawsuits. And so the federal government still has some protections against suing these characters, these Smith & Wesson, Ruger, people like that, uh, for what people do with their firearms or retailers, so long as there isn't some crazy thing that they're doing, supplying somebody when they know exactly what they're going to do with it, things like that, which essentially makes them complicit uh, in the action, right? If I, if if you are going to do something illegal and you come to me and you want to get something from me, purchase something, even though it may be legal to purchase, and I know that the that the purpose of that purchase is going to be utilized in the pursuit of a crime. There's a chance that I might be uh, included as part of a conspiracy. I might be a conspirator or a complicitor. Depends on how it goes. So th- those laws are already out there. What this essentially does is that 
it allows this reasonable standard, which they know is going to be applied differently by juries that don't like guns, to say, well, if the manufacturers haven't done this, or if they're marketing it to people, and this is one of the things they've tried in the past, is to say, well, they're marketing these to kids. You know, what do you mean? You've already raised the purchase price to 18, and the purchase price is 18. That's not a child. And now you're going to raise it to 21. And at the same time you're raising it to 21, you're trying to make it easier to sue them. And one of the things you're making it easier to sue is because, well, they market it to kids. They're, they're trying to get the same thing they did with, with tobacco and two or three other things, right? That, uh, you're marketing somehow to kids just to make it seem worse. Like you're glorifying it. And that's really not the problem with people that go nuts and kill people. It's because they're nuts and kill people. That's the problem. And because of that, they want to be able to knock those any protections down, get rid of that standard, that distance between the people that make something and the people that use it improperly. What about, uh, say, people that uh, manufacture cars that are in very fast and maybe, uh, you know, people use them, uh, you know, improperly and intoxicated and they run into people and there's not enough safety features in them to prevent them from operating them in, intoxicated. We could put uh, breath devices in all the cars that you would have to breathe into before the car would start to make sure that you're not intoxicated. Why don't we sue the auto manufacturers? Because they don't include those in all their vehicles. Think of how many lives could be saved that way. It's the same logic. So they want to eliminate that so that you can drag these guys into court find a bad enough situation, somehow link them to it, even though the the link between the manufacturer and what happened is totally distant and has nothing to do with each other in almost every situation, and allow them to be sued. But the hope being that you get enough juries that don't like gun manufacturers that they'll, that they'll hammer them with huge settlements and these guys go to business. That's really what it's about. It's, it's not about trying to change their behavior. What behavior are they supposed to change? No, I mean, are we going to make it the gun manufacturer's job to, you know, bring people in and have them go through a psychological profile? And what happens if that changes between the time they sell it and the time that they use it? I mean, it, it really doesn't make any sense. It's, it's a way to get back at firearms manufacturers through the back door when they're not allowed to just ban the things, period. So we have that, we've removed that in Colorado. There's already a couple of lawsuits filed uh, that were getting ready to be filed. I think they were probably filed Friday. One on the uh, raising the age to 21, and the other one on the uh, the, the knockdown of these uh, protections, reasonable protections against being sued from people who have a firearm that you manufactured in Connecticut. I think they're still in Connecticut, and uh, or even Massachusetts used to be some of them, and uh, gets used in Colorado, right? So we'll see how that turns out. The other one is this broadening of the Extreme Risk Protection Act, which, of course, is the red flag laws. They've broadened that out now so that a whole larger class, and I talked about this before, of individuals can now ask the court to impose a red flag order, which is to say to go to someone's house if the court believes it's necessary based on an ex parte hearing and search the house and seize all of the weapons. So now educators, physicians, uh, psychologists, anybody, there's a whole group of those people that can now 
In addition, the family members and law enforcement can ask the court to have firearms taken away from someone. And getting them back has proven to be very difficult. Of course, this puts law enforcement into a very difficult situation because they're almost forced to do it. There's also a provision in the bill when I was reading through it that requires the court, and this this is just, this is one of those things. It's, it's enough that the original petition is filed by one side. But the court, if they deny the petition, have to make specific, has to make specific findings why the court denied the petition. They can't just say, I don't find it to be sufficient. They have to say, why I don't have to find it sufficient? This is just to put the judges further on a hot seat to make them more likely to play it safe and allow the petitions, in my opinion. That's my view on it, to say, okay, now you have to make some findings about, and, and you know, your findings might be, that these are these are third parties, you know, complaints we're hearing that there's no direct observation, those kinds of things. I'm sure there'll be a, a lot of judges in Colorado that'll turn some of these down, but there's going to be a lot that aren't, and there's going to be a lot that are going to feel funny about turning it down and have to go on the record with a bunch of observations. Uh, I just I just think that's a way to sort of put a thumb on the scale a little bit there. So, welcome to Colorado, folks. Something else that's going to be happening probably in Colorado here that I pulled off uh, the news because I just thought it was nothing to do with guns. It's that uh, now it does have something to do with lawsuits in tangentially. More than 80% of the four-year colleges out there are going to stop requiring standardized tests for the fall of 2023 admissions. Remember you used to take the SAT or the ACT and... Your score on those had something to do with how well you got into college, right? Rather, what, whether you got into college or not, and what level of college you got into. 80% of the colleges now, four-year colleges, aren't going to require that. Hmm. Why is that? Well, I think we know. It's what they would say is, well, it's, we're, we're not getting enough diversity when we would just look at testing. Okay. That would be an interesting point if you were to uphold some fairly rigid guidelines as people traversed the four-year college to say, this is a standard. If we're not getting people in here because of some problems with the testing, that's fine. This is what we think you need to know. If you don't know it, you're going to flunk. Well, that's not happening. Some of these colleges, and like Victor Davis Hansen has said at Stanford, once you're in, they're going to make sure you stay in unless you just quit. So they're not doing that either. So what good are they doing someone? Well, they're cheapening everybody's degree because then you never know what someone knows and why they were willing in the school. You know, were they, were they legacy people? Did they, did they check some box? Did they, you know, who knows what the story, you just don't know. You know for a fact that, that there was no testing before they showed up at college and you know that when they get to college that it's hard to get thrown out anymore unless you're conservative or something. Then it's, pretty hard to get in, and then if you're in, you know, Katie, bar the door, what's going to happen with you there? At least that's what seems to be happening now. So what, what's happening is they're trying to avoid what's going on with this lawsuit against Harvard. Remember that uh, there's a there's a lawsuit still pending in the U.S. Supreme Court, we ought to be hearing about it at the end of this term, that Harvard and a couple of other universities, I think are also thrown in there, but Harvard is one, uh, is being sued by a group of... Uh, 
Asian students to say, look, that they were being systematically uh, excluded from admissions based on uh, their race. Because Asian students, because probably it seems like their culture, especially ones that have come here recently, their parents came here recently, have a lot better standardized testing and grades and things like that. And all of a sudden, they're not getting in. And there's some interesting statistics out there. We've talked a little bit about them before, about how much harder it is in some of these schools, how much higher of a grades or test scores that they're still using it is for someone in some of these backgrounds to get in than others. And they're saying, this isn't right. You should have, if you're going to have standards, you certainly, you certainly can take race into account, which is what happened, uh, what, over 25 years ago. Sandra Day O'Connor wrote that uh, opinion and they thought that, that that would, within a few years, that would not be necessary. Well, obviously it's just gotten worse instead of better. And we're seeing the situation out there now where the Asian students are saying, look, because we're doing well, because we work hard, because that's our families make us, because many of them come from, uh, many of them come from backgrounds in countries where the only way out is through studying hard and getting an education. Otherwise, you're really not in a good spot. So we're, we do that. And, in, and we're instead of being rewarded for, we're being penalized. Remember, this is an administration that kept trying to, uh, and recently they were stymied. I'm sure they'll come back again, trying to make people that had better credit scores this last week uh, pay more so that loans could go to people that had worse credit scores. And the Republicans are trying to stop that. And that's so this is how they think. So this lawsuit's chugging away out there. And a lot of people think that it's going to have a pretty hard effect on these race based admissions at these colleges because it's there's some pretty obvious issues with some of these admissions that they're doing here. And so this is a fail-safe plan on these colleges to say, okay, fine, well, we'll just stop doing the testing then. That way we're not going to get sued about these people testing better. We will just go through and establish a bunch of very strange admission standards uh, through extracurricular activities and uh, maybe things they write or looking for... uh, diversity and, say, geographical location, all kinds of stuff, and we'll avoid this. That's the kind of craziness we're up to, folks. Keep your eye on it. We'll be back next week.